Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Christchurch-born Ricky Ellison of Ngaitahu was the first New Zealander to play in the NFL and the first to win a Super Bowl. He won three of them with the San Francisco 49ers and he played along some of the game's all-time greats. So what do the Super Bowl and the U.S. defence industry have in common? Well, it turns out it's a New Zealander. After retiring from American football in 1992, he moved into the U.S. defence industry and became a strong advocate for ridding the world of nuclear weapons. Ricky's family history here in Aotearoa is pretty fascinating with sporting stars and esteemed doctors and strong ties to influential Māori leaders for sporting history this week. I'm speaking with Ricky Ellison, and he joins me now. Kia ora from New Zealand. Kia ora. How are you? I'm excited. I, I get to watch the Super Bowl on Sunday with, with my uh, former team. Yeah. Very excited. Very, big, very big cool. Week. Huge big week. week. Huge week. Yeah. Um, we better start there. What's it like playing and winning a hometown game. I'm thinking about that 1985 Super Bowl, um, San Francisco 49ers in Palo Alto. Can you take us back to that feeling and that emotion? It's a it's a very special emotion, and I think it's probably common with with teams that win world championships. It's an invincibility. <laughs> you feel invincible as a team prior to the game and the week leading up to the game because of all the resilience and all the wins you've had done as a team, beating the opponent, beating great opponents, but also beating weather conditions, beating bad referee calls, beating all sorts of stuff. (laughs) And you become very resilient. And certainly this team has shown that over the last couple of weeks. I think you've seen in the playoffs from coming from behind. So it, it is a there's a there's a, a feeling um, you know you've been together with your teammates for probably the last nine months mm. I mean every day and you live with them and trust them and that um, that was wonderful I can remember uh, in nineteen eight the, the nineteen eighty five super it was in January nineteen eighty five I believe yeah but um, very rare to have a Super Bowl in the NFL at your home stadium. It's, it's, it's only happened twice, maybe, in the game. Wow. And so, and so it's, um, so the, the feeling was such, was so cool in the week prior, being at home with your family, too, to experience that, and really no distractions for that game like you have, you know, as you would have in Vegas this week or anywhere on a Super Bowl week when your, tr- your team travels. So being at home was super special. And then the, just the emergence of Silicon Valley happened centered around that Super Bowl, as I recall. That's when Apple came out and they created the advertising campaign, Gosh. TV campaign, came out on that, used that venue to release the first ever Apple. Uh-huh. Um, so that was, that was fascinating. 
And then the first time a president of the United States called the coin toss. So President Ronald Reagan called our coin toss in 1985. And in fact, moved the, his, his, uh, his <laughs> uh, validation of being president, you know, the, the, the inauguration, the, the yeah. He moved that. He moved that <laughs> to make room for the Super Bowl. So that was pretty cool. Wow. And then, uh, <laughs> and then having it at Palo Alto, which was probably, you know, two or three miles from, from our home. And, and then having the, the evening, the San Francisco fog rolling in uh. as we rolled it was also pretty spectacular. And, uh, you know, the opponent was, was really good. Uh, Miami Dolphins, very, I mean, just a great thing. But I, like I said, when we got put out on that field before the, before the kickoff, it was just a feeling of invincibility Gosh. between our teammates. And uh, it doesn't mean what, what would happen. And, and certainly we, we won that game and it was, uh, it was tremendous. It was a tremendous experience. experience yeah, I think you were behind at the first quarter, weren't you? We were. Yes, you're right. We, we were behind early. And um, in this game, you know, we're, we're pretty famous. Our, our culture, the 49ers culture, is that we hand script the first 30 offensive plays. So those plays have been calculated, um, used analytics. I'm sure, certainly today, those first 30, I'm sure they are, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, AI versus AI. They know what the formations are going to be or, or the down distances. They, they've scripted this thing out magnificently. <laughs> and that's what Bill Walsh, that our, my, my coach, was the one that, that did that to take the pressure off the quarterback and the offensive players for being able to end to set up all these plays. And it's, it was a wonderful system when you, when, you, when you go. It's very difficult as a defensive team to handle that. And I think – we saw those first 30 plays scripted very well by Detroit last week. They came out, you know, way ahead of us on that. So it, it also, you know, preludes what's going to happen on Sunday. Andy Reid's a very good coach for the Kansas City Chiefs, and he will script those 30 plays pretty damn good. But again, it didn't matter. Because once those 30 are over and, and you make the adjustments and your defense makes the adjustments, you have that confidence and resilience and energy to be able to beat that. Uh, can you tell us what your job was on the team? My job, speaking to a New Zealand audience, I think would, would be sort of like a loose flanker. <laughs> I would, have, yeah. Uh, I would be a you know a number eight maybe, a number seven, number six would be outside linebackers. So I was on the kind of the second tier the big blocks and forwards are in front of me on the defensive side, big, big men. And then I have the wings and so forth behind me, the speed guys behind me. So I'm that middle layer. And as, as the number eight was able to control the game plan and be able to a, um, you know, as a captain to be able to call the defensive plays. And this is not like rugby. It's not a flowing sport. It, it, it's a, very, it stops every you know thirty seconds. Every five seconds you play, you stop, and you take a, another look at the situation. Mm. And each team gets to call a play, so I would call that play at the you know I was probably about three meters off the line of scrimmage where the ball was, and, and my job was kind of the all a tackler. I was a tack, I was a born 
tackler. <laughs> and that comes obviously from, from my all black, uh, grand, my grand uncle was Thomas Ellison, all black cat. So that was very easy and fun for me to do, but we would have to be able to kind of be the utility guy to be able to tackle, uh, runners to be able to also cover, um, tight ends and running backs, not the fast, super fast guys, but we have to do the pass coverage against those guys. And we have to call the plays and we have to basically disrupt that offense, disrupt that highly sophisticated offense with, with big, huge men in front of you and very fancy plays and speed and all that. And, and I'm a disruptor as a <laughs> linebacker. It's a great, I think it's the greatest position in the game. Is it tough? Um, is it tough? Is it tough on the body, Ricky? Oh yeah, no, it's, it's it's a it's a it's a pounding game. I mean, I've had sixteen surgeries. I have three of my joints replaced already. Yeah, I mean, you're only two hundred twenty pounds, and you're taking on you know three hundred twenty pound linemen that are in your way to get to the ball carrier, who is usually bigger than you are as well. Mm. And it is very very physical. Gosh. And it's not shoulder tackling; it's head tackling. It's it is uh, it's a very physical sport on the run game and so forth. But the linebackers also got to, you know, we get the blitz every once in a while, which is pretty fun too, which means to pass rush the quarterback. So there's a lot of complexities in, in the game, um, but just a fun position. And, you know, took me a long, I mean, I, that would have been probably my 15th year or maybe no, it would have been in my 20th year of playing the game. So Gosh. playing it just like, like your, your, your rugby players, your all blacks have played this game their game all the way like I played the NFL. So the, the, the ability to, to naturally and the timing and all of that and, the, and to be able to, you know, be one of the best in the country, obviously to, to be on that team to, to do that was, was super, super fun. And also linebacker as a linebacker. <clears throat> and I got all the game plan stuff that you get with the plays, but my ability to see what the play was going to be before it was hiked. So there, there's odd sheets and all that, but I was probably around 80 to 90% correct on what the play was before it was the ball moved. And that's, that's powerful when you, when you're that good that you know where that's going to go. And then you're able to, to disrupt that either by calling your, your frontline guys in or changing your coverage or doing, doing things to continue to create disruption. Before we go back to the earlier part of your life, you got three super. You get a ring. You get a special ring when you win the Super Bowl. And, and do you have three? Is that right? That's correct. I have uh, three Super Bowls. Um, so I played in the NFL for ten years, and uh, we were in the playoffs for nine of those ten oh, years. Oh gosh! I was in uh, five championship games. Last week's game. And uh, progressed to three Super Bowls out of those five of five those five years, and uh, was able to be on on some just magnificent teams. Wow! Well, take us back to your early life. I think you were here in New Zealand until the age of eight. And what memories do you have of that time, if any? Well, I have, I have very fond memories of Papua Nui Road in Christchurch and going to St Andrews college i have wonderful memories of hagley park the 
the daffodils, the fish and chip shops, mm-hmm. the lamingtons, I mean, the saveloys, <laughs> um, going to the cricket matches. Uh, that's where I called my, my grandmother's called programs because I went to the, to the cricket match uh, over there at Hagley Field. Um, no, it's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful environment. I mean, I, I always say New Zealand, to me, reminds me of California like 60 years ago or 70 years huh. ago, you know. And I, and I just love the South Island. The South Island is uh, just a very special place. Um, doesn't have, as, as you know, doesn't have as much people as, as the North Island. And our tribe's there, my, my uh, Takao's there in, in Dunedin. Um, so that's it. You know, my uncle Ricky's had the big farm out in Ellsmar, Ellsmer where I went out and saw him. And he, I think he, you know, he, he was, he was similar to the chief of the Natalie tribe. So I, 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 you know, pitchforking eels and all the old school stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that you're growing up and probably, probably, you know, having to do mutton bird, which was the worst smelling thing I've ever had in my life. I can always remember. Yeah, that that's, hasn't, that's not smelling any better all these years later, I've got to say, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> and, and although the, you were only there for eight years, as a as someone of Maori heritage, I imagine that you um, that you feel very connected to the country that from the many centuries before that, that your tipuna, your ancestors were there. And in your case, they're quite illustrious ancestors too. Yeah, I didn't know that till later in my life. I didn't know that when I was playing yeah. the game because I, I, the NFL, I, I, I've been able to understand what my heritage is, and it's pretty pretty cool. My um, my grandfather got the Order of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth on her first year of coronation, and he also got. <laughs> Um, the OB or medal, King George medal from the two previous, the two prior kings of England for his work in the uh, Pacific as the medical uh, doctor for the for the for the kingdom of England in, at that at that time. And his his brother was the first uh, New Zealand solicitor, Maury Maury solicitor. Yeah, and he, he was Thomas Elson, and he was the first Maury. Uh, all black captain in that team back in 1880s, I think that yeah. that did the first tour uh, and created the, uh, the the silver fern and the and the all black and a couple of the movements uh, on the football. He wrote a book on it, so those were pretty cool. And I and I didn't know my grandfather. I got to see him, but their father, our great grandfather, is the one that found the biggest amount of gold in New Zealand's history in the Shadover River. <laughs> so that's out in Queenstown, the, the, the Shadover River where you bungee cord jump, there is a Maori point where my great-grandfather, with a, believe it or not, with a dog trying to, trying to get some um, local food, crossed that river, and the dog got swept down and got out and shook like a golden retriever, I guess, and uh, found uh, a considerable amount of gold. And that's why he was also able to put his sons in the best Maori College at that time, which is up in uh, in the North Island to, to now. Like my Maori's not very good, but that's why they went there and and they also hooked up with the Tairuas. So this goes into that that movement. Um, 
and then, that. Yeah, and if, if I can jump in for a second, because this will be quite yeah, significant, yeah, significant to New Zealanders this week, um, the week of Waitangi, that um, he actually, by the way, a bit of gold, he uh, discovered 8.5 kilos of gold in one day, <laughs> um, and yeah, and yet did, did seem to devote a lot of that um, uh, money to causes that he was interested in. He was involved right. with the exiled uh, letters from Parihaka provided food for their followers who were imprisoned in Dunedin, gave lots of financial assistance in rebuilding Parihaka. I mean, that's, you know, that's incredible blood to be flowing through your veins. Yeah, he, because he, at the Marae at Otaga, they had the prisoners back in, this is in the 1800s, work the, through the road to Dunedin. And that's where he, he, you know, really big on the cause there. And the white feather of the albatross that comes out of there, that's what he did. And so he funded that whole movement, um, which is still alive today, I think. Yeah. But that massacre that happened uh, with the British on Mamari up in the North Island, that was, he, that was one of his big, big deals to yeah. do. How did you reconnect with this stuff, by the way, Ricky? You know, later in life, how, how, what, was it a well, sort of significant I, I moment for you? Yeah, it was important for me to take my children to the Marae, and that's who I belong. I don't belong in North Island and Marais. I, I was born in the South. My sister and I are the only ones of our family born in the South Island. That is our Marae. That, that, the, it's a stunning Marae if you go down there and see that at yeah. the headwaters of Dunedin coming in. It's on the right. Wow. And my, our family are all buried on that ground there. So the ground's up high above the Marae, but it can look at the Pacific Ocean. It's just, it's a powerful movement. And, and I'm, I'm going to be buried there. I, I mean, that, that's, that's uh, a very spiritual place there. But let me just, if I can go off on the story. Yeah. So he, so my, so my great grandfather, the guy that found gold, you know, was a, a young kid, um, and his dad was a Englishman on a Thomas Ellison that came over, I think, on the Carolina, and in Wellington, and <clears throat> he had to get a work, so he he got shipped down at eighteen down to Dunedin to, to do. Uh, the escorts of the ships into the harbor. I mean, he, he, he's a great swimmer. He's, he saved a lot of lives there, if you can look back at his history. But he fell in love with Chief Tyrua of the entire, you know, Chief Tyrua is, is, I believe, part of that line that defended Christchurch from the North Islanders. Yeah. And that line of the South Island warrior movement, that's, that's Tyrua. And Tyrua's I might get a little confused, but mm. he fell in love with with his granddaughter, and that granddaughter, the the um, chief Tyrua, didn't want to let him marry because he he was nobody. Yeah. So, right, didn't want to marry her, and and her dad was the famous Weller family. So the Weller family of the whaling family of Australian England back then. They came down and were very successful whaling. And you, you, I heard that Tip Talk song about the, the wellerman with the uh, sugar oh, yeah, tea and yeah, all that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that yeah. yeah, that's our family. That's my family. Oh, right my there. gosh. Yeah. So they, and they would come up, you know, and follow the whales from the, from the South Pole up. And they would par- park in there. 
But Chief Tyrua back in the day felt that it was to cross Maori culture with English culture because of the technologies that they didn't have. And they were kind of a port to clean the whaling vessels there in that spot. So he married his daughter into the Wellers. And they had that, they had that daughter. And then the Weller passed away and his grandfather, Tyro had to raise that daughter. And that's the daughter my great-grandfather fell in love with, mm. but he didn't have anything. So he, then he gets gold, right? And then he says, well, I'm going to go get her because I'm rich now. So I guess he goes back <laughs> and asks him and, and the guy wouldn't give it to him. So they got him drunk at, with rum punch or something or, or whatever that hot rum drink is, butter rum. And then he got, because they're way out there in the canoe, he got in a canoe in the middle of that after the, they got the great-grandfather drunk, and then they rode into town and got shotgun married there at, at the Dunedin Church without. So I'm just, that pretty cool? That is cool. That is great. And it, and it makes me feel like you were born destined for greatness, and I wonder if it puts some pressure on your children and their children, you know, live up to that Allison name. I, my children have done a good job. Rhett, my son, followed me uh, at USC, played very successful, played in the NFL for 10 years. He's, he's done very well. My daughters have are, are, are done extremely well. So, it, 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 you know, I, for me, I didn't know all my legacy while I was playing, so there was no pressure. <laughs> my son knew it. <laughs> so there's a little bit more pressure on him to do it. But it, it was it was so important to me that after I retired from the NFL, I moved to Christchurch for two years, and I oh, took my entire family did back you? over here to de-Americanize myself Gosh. from America because because of San Francisco was very you know the kids everywhere you're known as an NFL player for the four hours, so huh. just taking them out and moving. And I put my kids in Salwin House, my two girls in Salwin House there, and I put my boys in St. Andrews College, and we played rugby. I played rugby. For, for the University of uh, Christchurch University, whatever that was, I played there, and no, it was it was fun. It was a great two years. Can you tell me a, a bit about the um, just to, to finish with your your career in defence? How did that happen? And and I mean, no no trouble finding purpose as a uh, football player, but I'm, I imagine you have a great sense of purpose in your second career as well. Yeah, no that that also happened when I was at USC playing on a football scholarship and uh, I got exposed to then Ronald Reagan, who wasn't the president, but becoming the, you know, in his lecture year and a guy named Dr. Teller. I don't know if you've seen the Oppenheimer movie. <laughs> he was one of the top physicists of the world. Um, so I was lectured by both those and fell in love with the concept that, you know, we, we can we have technology to defeat the the world's you know most powerful weapon, and um, and we limited ourselves with our ability to do so. So I got it. I got at the very birth of the Street Defense Initiative, very birth before the president was even in the office, and the academic critical thinking behind that. And then when he came into the office, he announced an offset to, to beat the Russians. It was the height of the Cold War, height of the Cold War. And this was one of the, you know, major ideas and movements to, to force the breakup of the Soviet Union, which it did, which it had part to do with uh, on that. 
um, I continued to, to believe in it and to lead it as the world starts to now out of the Cold War come into some countries like North Korea that created nuclear ICBMs and we couldn't be, they, they're not gonna be deterred by mutual assured destruction. So I got involved with defending the United States of America from those limited ICBMs and, and also right after 9-11, and, and that was for, for the United States, that was a cruise missile attack on the United States Capitol. So they had to put missile defense capabilities around the Capitol. I got involved at the conception of all this and we withdrew from the ABM treaty that didn't allow us to build missile defenses. And I can say that when we signed the ABM treaty that didn't allow us to build missile defenses or a very limited amount, then our Congress said, we're not gonna do it. That then engaged the largest arms race in the history of the world. So not having defense, and everybody thinks that having, having defense would, would create an arms race, it did the opposite. So the world has never seen an ICBM offensive arms race that was limited because there was no defensive capabilities to stop that. And that's what happened. And so now when we got hit by 9-11, the country had to have a, a missile defense capability to defend the country. And we broke out of that. And I came in right there with the NBA part of it. And now as you look 20 years, that's 20 years ago. And now the weapon of choice, the weapon of choice all over the world are missiles. Drones, missiles, ballistic, hypersonic glide. They're in combat, uh, killing people in Ukraine, in Israel, in, in the whole Middle East. And yes, we have capability to defeat that. And those are being put out there as fast and as rapid as possible to be able to prevent lives and so forth. So that's continuing. And, and you live in the Pacific region. So do, so do you know, I'm, 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 I'm Pacific Islander, I'm Maori. And China is looking at changing the world order. So to be able to, to keep our world order and not go to war, you have to be able to deter their offensive, um, just tremendous amount of missiles. They are using, showing, and leveraging it because we don't have defensive capability to do it. So Ricky, it's a hell of a cause, right? Now. Yeah, yeah. Ricky, Ricky Ellison, almost 40 years after that hometown win in San Francisco or in California, still playing defense. Sir, great to chat to you today. Thank you for your time and your expertise and those memories. And who's going to win the Super Bowl? Well, the 49ers will. And I will tell you that the Kansas City Chiefs will go up maybe two scores, maybe three scores in the first quarter, first half because they're going to run those 30 plays. But the 49er offense has so many superstar players, like five of them. And Kansas City doesn't have the defense against them. You're going to have to take one of them away or two of them away. If you take away Christian McCaffrey, who's the number one player in the game right now, he's the MVP. That means you, you have to give up your pass rush. And if you give up your pass rush, because you can't do run, run and pass at the same time with your big D line. So I think they don't have an answer. They don't have an answer for offense. But again, the offenses are very temperamental, especially ours. We're like Ferraris. They need to be running perfectly, and sometimes they're not. And and we're a finesse, perfect team. But if they're running hot engine, there's no way Kansas City will beat us. No way. So I, I, I'm confident on that. 
but again, they, they, they could be distracted in Vegas and, and not show up. I think our defense will be fine. So I, it will be the sixth championship of the San Francisco 49ers. And mark me on that, please. Will do. Ricky, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.